Hello and welcome everyone to today's video podcast. We are very excited to have you with us online. My name is J.W. Marshall, Learning Solutions Director for MarketScale. And today's guest, Samirian, is one of my uh, most exciting guests that I've had on the podcast so far. Uh, Somi is a tech philosopher, uh, a transition architect. Um, she is an award-winning filmmaker um, and also an author. And so uh, we're going to dive into a lot of conversation around what is the future of work, the future of technology, and this is going to be a really great podcast. So I'm going to let Somi introduce herself and talk about some of the things that she's working on before I get to my questions. Thank you so much. Uh, there's so much that I work on at the moment. There are so many different uh, projects um, that I'm currently involved with. But I'd say one of the most exciting ones is a bioelectronics company uh, that is um, uh, exploring pain management and how we can uh, stimulate body's own currents uh, to uh, generate new ways of dealing with pain. So it's one of my projects. Another project I'm working on is called Femme Talent, which is about um, women in technology and how we can help more women to gain leadership roles in technology. Uh, so that's another thing. Uh, and uh, of course, then my day to day, you know, bread and butter essentially is Smart Cooking Media, which is um, a, a marketing agency. And I work with both B2B and B2C, but especially B2B because uh, LinkedIn is, uh, is one of my favorite um, areas to focus on. Perfect. And so at a macro level, you've seen a lot of change over the decades, over the years, but describe to us the change that you've seen in the last uh, six months uh, with the pandemic that's hit the world and how has that changed uh, or accelerated uh, kind of the future of technology? JW, very, very good question you asked. You know, I recently wrote an article about uh, exactly the question that you just asked. How has COVID-19 changed the uh, career landscape, the business landscape for a lot of companies? But the truth is that it hasn't really changed anything. It has accelerated a change that had already started. You know, a lot of people like to think about or say that, um, this is unprecedented and, you know, it came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. You know, I made a, a documentary in 2017 and talked about a lot of the trends that we are now seeing, uh, you know, becoming um, uh, ubiquitous and then people wanting to embrace them all of a sudden out of necessity, trying to warn people and the businesses and say, look, this is the new way of thinking about uh, how to market yourself, how to uh, build your business, how to design products. People want something different. And, and uh, I put it in the context of millennials, you know, our generation. You know, I'm an older millennial, you're old, uh, an older millennial. So the, we are um, either digital native or we are a digital native in the sense of grown up with it, you know, in our adult time. We don't really remember any time before, you know, our um, and maybe our adolescence, we don't remember much of our time without technology. So that has um, profound implications. And when you look at uh, the number of companies that has done that have done well during the um, lockdown, has worked out really well for them, are the ones that uh, are in the forefront of technology, and they have been already um, embracing a virtual life and, and uh, a digital life way before any of this happened. Because you know this this is a trend many many years in the making. You know at least two decades in the making. 
Exactly. We like to say that the, it was slow to come and then it came all at once uh, with this pandemic. Um, you mentioned millennials and I'd like you to dive in a little bit deeper on, I know you've talked about the char characteristics of millennials and how, how those are very different than previous generations. As uh, marketers and educators, what, do, what does our audience need to know uh, about millennials that they don't already know? Yeah, so um, I'm sure that a lot of it, you know, by now it has become a little bit of a legend. You know, people uh, do uh, talk about it, they, they know about it. But there is um, a, an article I wrote, which is very precise. I, I put it into 10 uh, very precise categories. And actually, I usually tell people to go in and look at those 10 categories and then give themselves a score out of 10 for each of those, you know, like say, for example, if I, um, it, it, you can find that article on smartcookiemedia.com in, in, uh, uh, in the blog section. And I, uh, you know, I usually tell people like, think of this and actually I should probably create a little questionnaire, you know, a quiz for people to think about like, these are the characteristics of uh, the kind of audiences that we are targeting. Yeah, because one of the things that I talk about is that even if your audience is not a millennial audience, you, you need to remember that millennials have impacted the behavior of other generations. So those, um, uh, and those 10 characteristics, one of them is abundance of choice. For example, as a, as a business, do you understand that your, um, uh, your target audience has many, many choices? Do you appreciate like that? How much you need to do to uh, differentiate yourself, to to stand out? You know, do you, for example, another one is speed of change. As a company, how quick are you to respond to? Like, for example, I woke up this morning and I had an idea about um, uh, a a kind of a website or an app that would refine a lot of things that are in a dating app. You know, that maybe are not being addressed. And within just a few minutes of making the decision, I had a chat with my colleague. I bought the domain. My web developer is already on it. He's making it. This is like the kind of speed with which you need to be responding to situations and, and looking around uh, and seeing what opportunities, what new opportunities there are. Um, it, the other thing is that you need to realize that they uh, value, you know, our generation values the opinion of their peers uh, over their seniors. So, so all of these, this, I mean, I'm not going to go into all 10 of them one by one. And you know, one of them is diversity, career and education, uh, the way that we consume entertainment. So as, as a business, you want to go and look at that list and give yourself a score from one to 10. And then in the end, if your score is above 75, uh, about 80, then you have a good chance as a business. But if you're like, for example, if I sit here and if I Wanted to score a company like HSBC, you know, a bank like HSBC, which I, uh, you know, is my bank. I would probably score them about thirty, you know. Whereas a bank like Starling, I, I would score eighty or, or ninety, even, you know. And when you look at, you know, the way that I'm shifting my business as a, you know, as, as somebody who runs a business, I'm just uh, increasingly uh, gravitating towards more challenger brands because they understand, you know, they, their product is designed for. Uh, the digital native generation. Exactly, and it's it seems like the millennials are evolving as well. Um, what would be something that maybe is a misconception about the millennial generation that you could talk about? Um, 
you know what? It's like any other generation. You can't really, um, you can't really say. I don't want to overgeneralize. I think I think the stuff that the, the those ten kind of uh, categories that I've given are pretty factual. You know, you can you know there's a lot of research there to to show that this is their behavior or our behavior in general. Um, I, I would say that things uh, people like to say like uh, millennials are um, lazy and things like that. I think those things are frankly like they they're not very unhelpful. You know, if you are if you're a manager or or you know a, 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 the director of a company, and by default you have that um, a view towards people who are coming in, you know, to your uh, organization, you're already starting with a negative um, uh, feeling towards them. Uh, and uh, I think things like laziness and and entitlement and things like that. They are a very subjective, you know, and, and I could look at the um, middle classes, you know, the, the people who grew up and, and went in, went into the work space during the uh, 60s and 70s, um, 80s, 90s. You know, I would say that you could say that they are entitled because, you know, by, by default, they think that they can go into a company and they could. The truth is they could, right? They could go into a company and they could pretty much be guaranteed that um, there would be a promotion, they could be guaranteed that they could buy a flat, a house, you know, and and um, build uh, a, uh, a, a family. But millennials are the poorest generation since World War Two, you know. And we have seen uh, the um, we have seen a big uh, the credit crunch. Then now look at we're going into another recession with COVID nineteen. You know, I mean, we we haven't had the opportunities that um, maybe the previous generations had. So um, I think it's really unhelpful to characterize a whole generation as uh, entitled or, or, or uh, you know, uh, lazy. Um, we, the people who work around me, all of my team, they're all millennials. And uh, there are some very, very hardworking people among them. Absolutely. I think more entrepreneurs than ever. Um, in our entrepreneurial uh, millennial generation. Um, and I think it's more so that uh, millennials aren't going to wait around for something to be handed to them. It's actually the opposite of what a lot of people think. They're going to go out and do it themselves or they're going to go somewhere else and do what they feel you know, that they were born to do. And so uh, I think now, finally, as more millennials are moving into leadership positions faster than any other generation, um, other generations are starting to see uh, that they, they may not have... Uh, been accurate in their assessment uh, to your point about millennials being lazy. Um, it was something different. Um, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit into B2B marketing. Um, and as it relates to millennials and other generations, what have you seen as the biggest shifts in the way that companies need to be marketing, especially in the B2B space? Yeah, sure. So that's really my area of expertise. And that's the that's where we make our most money in terms of in my company, that's the main thing we do. So I'm very familiar with that. You know, people tell me, oh, LinkedIn um, has never done anything for me or or I've never had anything out of LinkedIn. Actually, 70%, more than 70% of our business comes from LinkedIn. So um, I think there is a real opportunity 
the B2B market is, is a beautiful market. I love it because it's so easy to find, usually, you know, 90% of the time, it's so easy to find your exact target audience. You don't need to have a huge following, but, you know, you can connect with them directly. And then once you're connected to them, you know, they can see your content in their newsfeed. Then you need to develop really useful content things that makes them think, thought-provoking, you know, thought leadership content. That's, um, that, that really shares your perspective, you know, but you need to have a perspective to, to begin with. So I think a lot of times people are really afraid of speaking, speaking out or speaking up because they maybe haven't uh, deeply processed or thought through some kind of original thing that they might have to offer. But I think that if we dig... Uh, we will see that most of us are standing on a mountain of uh, information and knowledge. So there's always going to be something that you know that, you know, you think about uh, in a B2B environment, what are some of the conversations that you usually have with your, with your clients? You know, what are the questions that they have? Those are the kind of things that your audience on LinkedIn wants to hear about. And, and sometimes people are like, oh, but if I give all of my knowledge out for free, you know, then um, I, I give out everything, you know, I, I, then there's no reason for people to come to me. I disagree with that, you know. Um, I think that people in general, uh, they're, uh, they're, they, they, they are not going to be able to, or they don't have the time, they don't have the um, even uh, inclination to try and just learn stuff and don't then go and do it themselves. Because... Most people who are running whatever business, they are in the business of doing what they do best. They, uh, if, if they spend that time marketing themselves, you know, then, uh, then, then there is no, um, there's no time for them to become good at what's, um, what they do, right? So, for example, say if your tar target audience is, um, uh, is people who, um, is, say, in law, right? So, that, so they have certain questions, they have like a legal problem. So you may be able to give them all the uh, correct answers, you know, in your content. But ultimately, say, if, if a doctor or, say, an engineer has some legal problem, they are a doctor and engineer just by the fact that you have given that answer. They're not going to go and do their own legal thing. So if anything, it puts you in a position that you're more likely to get people asked, you know, can you come and do this for me? Because people don't want to do it themselves, you know. So I give away all of my marketing uh, tips for free, but uh, I, it never takes away business from me. If Absolutely. Yeah, and at market scale, we really believe that education is the highest form of marketing, that people don't want to be sold. They want to be educated. They want to learn. Um, and not necessarily education in the traditional sense of classroom setting, but they want to, you know, find a piece of information and then find more information and do a lot of that research on their own. Uh, what advice would you give to businesses to help make that transition from being very in your face and sales focused to more thought leadership and more uh, education focused on their company themselves, their product, uh, that type of thing? I have to say it's a shift of mindset. It's not easy. It's not like, you know, if you're um, if you're not used to thinking that way, well, what I find very interesting as a filmmaker and when we work with companies like that uh, or, or even individuals, they're like, seriously? So when we are creating scripts and working on the content, content, content they say, 
Um, seriously, uh, so I shouldn't say what we do, you know, or like, yeah, so shouldn't we talk about our product? And I'm like, no, like, you know, if, if you look at my content on LinkedIn, um, I don't talk about the process of how we work with our clients, you know, to help them market themselves or, or build a thought leadership. I don't talk about those things. For example, some of my latest content, one of them is about working from home, how to, uh, you know, build your environment to work from home. What, one of them is about how Amazon and AWS are, um, or how Amazon has created AWS as a child and now AWS is getting bigger. So, so it's, it's an example of how companies can create subsidiaries that can then go on to become, uh, maybe to save the mothership in a way, right? So, so like this is the kind of content that I talk about or like the impact of COVID-19 on the future. So I don't talk about the, directly the product that I sell ever. And sometimes people ask, what do you exactly do? You know, and then they go and find out. So the time that they take, remember your goal as a marketer is not to try and sell your product or, or, or you know, talk about your product. Your goal is to create intrigue and get people to spend time with your brand. You know, when you look at Amazon, what have they done? They've created Amazon Prime series. When you spend time watching Amazon Prime series, you know, you're being either educated or entertained, you're spending time with the Amazon brand. So essentially, when you pay for Amazon uh, Prime, you're, you're paying to be advertised to. I mean, this is, this is like the, the most incredible form of marketing when you think about that, right? So, so your goal as a marketer is to get people to spend time with you. And if, if you can make the switch, it's like, you know, just it has to be a switch, like a, a, an aha moment and say, okay, any kind of content that I'm creating, posting online, is this going to make people want to spend time with me? Because if it's like just selling your product, people aren't interested, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, so that no, that's it. A- just ask, just, just one question, tick. Right? Does this make people want to spend time with me? If they, if if it makes them want to spend time with me, I'm doing correct marketing. That's a great one. One line test that I think all of our audience can take away. Um, my next question has to do with uh, another topic that you're very passionate about: artificial intelligence, um, and how that is converging uh, much faster than many people uh, think with technology, with marketing, with uh, the human, you know, experience. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your take on kind of the future of artificial intelligence. Okay, that's, that's yeah, you're right. Uh, that's probably a topic that I'm most passionate about these days. You know, this, I, I pretty much wake up thinking about it, go to bed thinking about it. It keeps me uh, awake at night. I, I think about it all the time and I think the, uh, on a very macro level, before we even get to business and society, on a very macro level, I think what's happening is there is a very good uh, likelihood that in this century we are going to change as a species. You know, we are. Um, it's, this is a huge statement. You know, if you think about the the um, change that happened as we went from reptiles to mammals. What's happening in this century is potentially as big, if not bigger. So we are um, we are changing as a species, and the way I see it, 
technology, what is the role of technology in general, not, not just artificial intelligence? Technology is a way of describing how we outsource our needs, right? That's, that's what technology is. So we build tools that enhance and outsource the things that we need to do, our, our capacities, our, our capabilities. As humans, we have three capacities or capabilities. Uh, those are uh, physical, cognitive, and emotional. Now, phys with our physical abilities have been enhanced and outsourced um, throughout, you know, throughout history. How so? The moment when we reached out, you know, when we picked up a stick and reached out to a uh, a branch on a tree, you know, that we couldn't reach otherwise, and, and shook, shook that um, branch and got it to drop an apple, that was technology. That was an early form of technology. When we harnessed uh, the power of fire so that we were able to cook the food, and we outsourced our digestion. So we've been outsourcing our physical needs for a very long time. And that has been accelerated after uh, the, uh, uh, with, with the advent of industrial uh, revolution. So we've had the first two industrial revolutions have been all around that. The third industrial revolution, which is the digital revolution, is a way that we have been able to outsource our cognitive abilities so that, you know, we don't need to use, we don't need to do a lot of calculation. You know, we can use calculators, we can use computers to do a lot of our bidding for us in the cognitive realm. So then the third thing, the third area, there's one more left. I mean, you could... Some people you know, would say that there is more than emotional. You could say that there is also a fourth dimension uh, after emotional. So, so the third dimension is the emotional uh, level. And what I see with artificial intelligence is that our emotional realm, our emotional capabilities is also now being enhanced and um, uh, and. Uh, disrupted, right? It, 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 we, are, we are outsourcing it. So uh, to uh, you might say that, okay, but artificial intelligence doesn't have feeling, it doesn't have emotions. It doesn't, but it, it does a very good job of mimicking. And just by the fact that it can mimic it, it's already impacting the way that we behave as humans. So on a very macro level, and in the, the fourth dimension that I didn't mention, and I didn't talk about it in my book, because it's very subjective and it, and it really depends on how people would look at it would be the spiritual level. So you would say, you know, you, there's no way, it's not falsifiable, it's something that's you know, not falsifiable. That's why I don't go there, you know. I, I'm an atheist myself and I would say that um, it, I have my own very complex philosophical way of looking at the world. So, so you can't really falsify that. That's why, you know, we don't go there. So we, at the moment, we have these three capacities. All of them are being and have been disrupted by machines. Um, so we are now morphing into a new kind of uh, entity, which is no longer exactly human. Um, and uh, that has profound implications. Another implication of that is that um, what we're going to see, I think, over the next, from, from everything that I observe and I have been reading about and uh, you know, thinking about, it, it seems that it appears that we are going to see a disappearance of 
the middle classes. Um, so if your business is built around a middle class culture, you might want to think about that. It seems that we are going towards a place where we're going to have like the top 10% or the top, you know, the, the creators. When you look at COVID-19, some of the vocabulary that was used during this time, something like keywords, you know, we talk about keywords, right? Now, the keywords of the century may not necessarily be the, the medicals, and you know, but within within that time there there are con, uh, you know concepts such as social distancing such as key workers these are things you know the furlough the the um, universal basic income it seems increasingly that we are going to have about 10 percent of people doing all the work and 90 percent not having much to do so as a business you want to think about where do you fit wh who do you want to serve and how can you make uh, a contribution to making this transition more humane as we go into this new kind of species. And you brought up the products that companies build. Um, talk about the difference between thinking about your audience and your products versus your audience and what products do they need? Yes, exactly. I think we talked about this when we were preparing and I, I mentioned you know, a lot of times companies come to us and say, okay, I need help with marketing this product. Okay. It's like, for example, how can you help us? You know, how can we create content? I'll give you an example. Say I speak to um, some VP of a bank, say American Express, right? They would say, how can you help us create content to market our product? And my answer is that the real question you need to be asking is whether your product is millennial friendly, whether your product is um, is ripe for this market. You know, so you can't sell a product just by marketing it. It's not about how much you talk about. It. It's not about how many great, beautiful, you know, uh, commercials you create. If if you ask me to make a beautiful commercial for you, I'd say that's not really where you can use my talent most. If you really want to have a, a successful product, you need to first listen to me about what kind of product to create to begin with, right? And then the product will speak for itself. Then you can share the stories of the people that use those products you know, in an entertaining way, or, or you can teach people things that will, um, that will make them want to use that. So before we think about how to market our product, we need to ask the question, is this the right product for this time in history, you know, in, in this time and space? I always give the example of um, one of my favorite writers is, is uh, Clayton Christensen uh, and his book, uh, in which he wrote a very long time ago, The Innovator's Dilemma. You know, and then he, his recent book, which is about what, something that he calls, um, is about he calls it job theory, right? you know, so he asks, he says, ask the question, this product, does it do a job? You know, does it do the job that people are, are hiring it for? So, for example, if I buy um, a toaster and I don't use that to toaster, it means that that toaster is not doing the job that I wanted it to do. So, so the mark of how good your product is. So again, going back to products like, um, you know, to, to companies like Uber, you know, uh, or, or for example, um, starting back here. These are companies that when you look at their, their product or Monzo, these, these are things that, that they are solving a problem for our generation. And, you know, I use Monzo and Starling not because they marketed to me, but because 
they're so much easier to use. So if, if our generation wants speed and convenience, find a way to give it to them. Absolutely. And so uh, circling back a little bit to art artificial intelligence, um, I meant to ask about machine learning as well. That's a term that seems to get thrown out a lot um, recently, in recent months, and recent years. What is machine learning for those that don't know? And how does that fit into this equation? Machine learning is, you know, there's a, there's a guy uh, called, uh, there's a gentleman called Pedro Domingos who wrote a book. Um, his book is called Master Algorithm, The Master Algorithm. And I highly, highly recommend everybody, every leader, should read that book. It's an amazing book, right? And in that book, he says a sentence that, that ne I never forget. He says, machine learning is something new under the sun. You know, it's game changing. It's so different from anything that you could ever um, uh, imagine in terms of uh, this disruptive, disruptive power. So there are two kinds of programming. When you think about what, you know, computer programming, there are two kinds of programming. There is a kind of programming which is like the or, or um, actually the second one I wouldn't even call it programming, but essentially there is either programming or machine learning. So programming is when you tell the computer what to do. So that you know when you create an algorithm, you tell the algorithm what to do. Whereas machine learning, it, it comes into play where you are in a position where you can't explain to the machine. You know the task is so complex that, for example, playing Go, right? You know playing chess. You cannot teach a computer, you know, through but by by dictating the moves. You can't teach a computer, but the, the computer can learn by itself just by observing how that game is played, right? So from that point of view, machine learning is the exact opposite of programming. You know, a lot of times when I when I talk to people about these topics, they're like, oh, my job, no, my job will never be uh, automated because, you know, because my job is so complex. Actually, you know, it's impossible to teach a machine to do that. Actually, that's a misconception. That's not true because given enough examples, given enough data, examples of how your job is done, a machine learning algorithm could watch that and learn to do it probably better than you, you know, because as long as you can especially break it down into different tasks, it can do a very, very good job. So it doesn't matter how complicated it is most of the time. When I look at a lot of um, different tasks that, that are within our jobs, like probably 70, 80% of those tasks, if broken down, any machine learning algorithm could in principle learn it. So that brings me to my next question, which is this can be looked at as very positive or very negative, uh, that we're losing jobs or that we are gaining more ability and new jobs are being created. And at market scale, we have a lot of conversations in manufacturing and industrial, and I'm impressed with our clients that look at this as machine learning, AI, technology, as a way to expand their business and keep the people they have and upskill them and grow instead of just trying to do more with less. Um, which side of the uh, you know paradigm of positive or negative do you fall on with where this is headed with technology? Okay, well, this is a very good question. I usually say I'm bang in the middle because you know it could go either way. Um, the one thing that I tell people, whether you know whether you are watching this or listening to this as a, a company leader or a, a team member, you need to remember it's up to you. Okay, 
you know, it's up to you how this works out for you. It's up to all of us. Ultimately, with every move that we make as we go through our day-to-day -day lives and we use uh, various technologies, you know, whether it's Amazon Alexa to, you know, Facebook or, or Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, as we deal with technology, with every move that we make, we are training machine learning algorithms of these technology companies. So it's up to us as, as much as it is up to them creating you know, th these technologies. So, so you need to educate yourself. You need to step up. You need to become an active participant rather than a passive observer. If you are spending your time you know, watching Netflix, if you spend most of this uh, you know, lockdown, uh, um, if you treated this as like a big holiday and just like chilled out and watched, uh, you know, binge watched a lot of Netflix, then it's unlikely for it to, to end well for you. This is, this is the reality of it, you know? But if you spend this time educating yourself about what's going down the line, if you are taking an active stance and thinking, you know what, I want to see what innovation can I make? You know, how can I improve what's already out there? Ultimately, when you look at this potential view of 10%, 90%, it doesn't have to be like that. It's not written on stone. You know, it could be the top 100%. Yeah, if, if everybody took uh, it upon themselves to step up and, and be an active participant, there is room, there is, you know, the, the possibilities are out there for everybody. When you look at something like Google's um, uh, approach to AI and machine learning, they have made their uh, platform easily available. You know, they've got um, the, the TensorFlow, for example, there's all of these uh, tutorials freely available for, for anybody to go in and um, uh, educate themselves. So I'm not saying that we all need to become coders, but we all need to become, because, because it's not about creating, it's not about creating um, new codes or new technologies. It's about complementing technology. So I'm going to say that again. It's about complementing technology, right? And, and we need to find out, we need to understand how we can complement it in a way that will benefit humanity. Because the way that things are going in the past, you know, when we had that um, uh, that piece of stick that we would uh, use to to get that branch to fall, you know, for the apple to fall, at that time, what we were doing, we were using technology in our service. We were we were trying to enhance ourselves with technology. What's happening in this century is that that scenario is reversed. We we are no longer using technology to enhance ourselves, technology is using us to enhance itself. You know, technology has found a new life of its own, a life of its own. So, so you have to see as a human, how can you be a complementary piece of this puzzle? You know, how can you find yourself, your place in the universe, in, in, in the world um, and complement it? Because you, as a human, have got uniquely human skills, you know, because you have subjective experience which machines don't. And for, for the foreseeable future, it doesn't look like they will. So they may become very, very intelligent. You know, they might, may even find general intelligence. They may pass the Turing test. They still don't have subjective experience. So your subjective experience is the missing puzzle of how we can merge with technology in a positive way so that it will enhance our experience on this planet. 
And so really it is an exciting time that people have more ability and options to teach themselves, to learn new things. On the flip side, a lot of business leaders complain that their workforce coming out of university or in general um, isn't ready for the challenges of today. What more could employers do to help educate their employees or uh, point them in the right direction so that they grow with the company? I think, you know, to be honest, this what I'm about to say might come across as a little harsh, um, but to be honest, the way I see it, it's not the um, responsibility of employers to do this. You know, young people have to realize they need to educate themselves because, you know, as somebody who runs a business, you know, as somebody who is uh, an entrepreneur, and I started a business with nothing, right? It's I don't have the capacity. You know, we have more and more small businesses that are innovating. That are you know, we need people coming on board that have the zest, that have the energy, that have already figured this out. And and I wrote my book, Career Fear and How to Beat It. I wrote that book for those people that are coming in. So if anything, you know, I think that companies need to be looking for the top one percent of talent. And, and young people need to, or top 10% of the talent, and, and young people need to step up, you know, because ultimately the speed of uh, technological advancement does not give you a lot of room. You know, if, if you are, if this, is, this is no longer the time, you know, that it's not that, that time where you had big corporations that had a lot of time, a lot of money, that spent a lot of time in, in uh, meetings and you know had expensive training programs. I'm sorry, that time has passed. There is no time. You've got to just get on with it. You know. So to be honest, I would say if you're a business, if you're running a business, you need to be looking for top talent that already is there. And if you're a talent, you need to just step up because there's no time. Yeah. Well, and there and there is opportunity for those yeah. that do step up. Exactly. Um, I think I think we are seeing some of the best businesses providing at least some some guidance in what they need, so that the uh, employer employees aren't guessing and uh, and so that they're not learning new skills and leaving the business. Um, so, in my opinion, there is a little bit of a, a balance there between um, not necessarily just giving all the answers to your employees and saying, "Well, just do this and you'll be okay," because that's not the case, um, but. Uh, providing opportunities for them to continue to upskill towards Absolutely. those future jobs seems like um, a small thing the businesses could invest a little bit of money into uh, that may help them retain that type of talent as well, almost as a competitive advantage um, between their competition. Absolutely. I mean, I go into companies, I give talks, I do workshops, you know, I do a consultation for companies who want to find out how to upskill their talent, but ultimately, you cannot get somebody to change their mind if they're not willing to, if they're not ready for it. So that sort of training is great for people who are already primed, right? You know, but but if somebody is not primed and doesn't want to change and doesn't want to upskill themselves, just don't waste time. You know, because there are people who are hungry. There are people out there who are hungry. And and why not, you know, look at look at that. Absolutely. Um Kind of final thoughts uh, on, I know you have a new book coming about, uh, and I'd love to hear just a little bit more about that. 
Sure. So the, the book is, um, it, it gives an overview of where the career landscape is going. You know, it talks about, for example, the influencer culture and uh, how that influencer culture is impacting the mindset of young people going into the workplace at the moment. Uh, it's it's also, uh, it then also has a section where you kind of like think about who you are, you know, like and what is finding your place in the world. So, so one is called, um, one chapter is called Knowing Yourself, and another chapter, my, my favorite chapter, Knowing Your Place in the World or Finding Your Place in the World. You know, that is where I feel like it's probably my most original thoughts in the sense that people thinking about where do I fit in this in this planet, in this time and space, and how can I make a contribution? How can I have that sense of purpose? And once you've decided, once you've understood what is the future of work, where is it going, how is artificial intelligence uh, changing the career landscape, which is all the stuff that I talked about in part one and two. Then in part three, it's about, okay, are you ready? So, and then it, it finally it's like, okay, are you ready? If you're ready, so here are four skills that you need to learn to um, uh, to be very successful, uh, you know, to, to, or to be successful, not maybe not very, you know, however much you want. And those four skills are uh, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, contextual creativity and mindfulness. Mindfulness uh, is simply put the way that I look at it, you know, don't think about, you know, people sitting down meditating. Um, what I'm talking about when I talk about mindfulness is about full engagement with the with the reality, full participation in what's happening. You know, not, not just physically being there, but not mentally, you know, to, to fully participate in what's happening. And uh, that's the foundation to pay attention, to really uh, observe what where the world is going and, and find your place in it. Um, and from there, uh, you know, then you will be able to respond to situations with emotional intelligence and critical thinking and uh, the contextual creative. Perfect. Um, I think that's all the time that we have for today, but we definitely want to continue the conversation again on a future podcast. This has been great. I know our audience will um, take a lot away from our conversation today. Um, so thank you for joining us today, Somi. Thank and, you. Thank you to, and thank you to everyone out there listening. We'll see you next time.